Hello, I'm Ian Cheeseman and this is Forever Blue, the podcast, the Manchester City podcast, the weekly podcast, because we do one every week, usually on a Sunday at some point. Um, if City play on a Sunday, late on a Sunday particularly often, then it's done on a Monday. But generally speaking, we do it every Sunday. Um, thank Big shout out to Charles Louis, who are the sponsors of this podcast. They're an advisory business. They advise on develop, development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages. Charles Louis now provides support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agents and an expert commercial finance team and renowned mortgage team. Now, if you want advice from them, and Dave is the man who runs the company, who is a big city fan, then have a look at their website, charleslouis.co.uk, the Louis spell L-O-U-I-S, charleslouis.co.uk. Give them a call. There's a phone number on there, lots of information, etc. Follow them on Twitter, um, at Charles Louis Group, um, and, and tell them basically that you heard about them on Forever Blue, because I'm very grateful for their support, and I hope that you will back me in supporting them. Now, before we start and I introduce you to the uh, the cast today, I just wanted to read this out. Now, I don't normally do this, um, but I do requests. But I think this one um, this one caught me, so I'm going to do it anyway. So um, bear with me. Um, hi, Ian. Um, a lifelong blue lost his battle with COVID-19 today. His name was Liam O'Neill. He was only 58, a season ticket holder for 38 years and also my friend's absolute best friend. Sorry, my father's absolute best friend. We go to the games every week with my dad and here's Liam's brother, Mike, along with other friends meeting in the pub beforehand. Liam has been with me personally for all that recent monumental moments that the Etihad has seen. Most notably, my father, Jeff, and Liam appeared on Blue Tuesday, because did that on the BBC back in the day in 2012, before the Derby victory in which company scored that winner, that fantastic header. I'm sure Liam will be watching uh, in the sky as City continue on. I'm asking if it would be possible for Liam to get a mention in your next podcast. It would mean the world to his wife, Sarah, and daughters, Georgia, Alex, and Olivia, and also Mike, uh, his, his only brother, and Mike's son, Callum. My dad and Liam have absolutely loved your broadcasting over the years. And as a young blue myself, I've grown up with the sound of your voice on match day. Well, it's my pleasure to do that, Nick. And um, thanks very much for reaching out to me. And uh, we, we definitely, um, you know, feel for your loss. And, I, and certainly as somebody who's suffered a, a major loss myself recently, I can identify with that. And, and I think my first guest that I'm going to introduce now, Mark Lillis, former City striker, um, having just come through COVID, Mark, you will relate to that as well as anybody, won't you? Oh, yeah, definitely, yes. It's not been a, it's been a bit of a scary time for myself and my wife who got uh, COVID uh, at the same time. So I've just come out of uh, lockdown, as they call it. So um, self-isolating for 14 days, I think now. But yeah, we're out of it. We're on the men now. Cheesy. Thanks for uh, caring. Absolutely, of course I care. Um, you, you're one of my heroes, as, as all of the City players are, but you being a blue as well, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool blue. Um, your dad used to be on the the door when we went down to Old Trafford. Um, obviously, you've got son Josh and Georgina, your daughter. I mean, the whole family bleeds blue, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah I think when we I was born on Oxford Road, and I think when you're 10 seconds, when you come out of mum's womb, 
you're a blue. You're either blue or uh, the other side of the Manchester. But uh, you don't have a say in it. But you know, I, I absolutely loved him to play for him as well and score on my debut, and actually run to the kid packs with my mates in there and run to the main stand. It, it's just a, can't describe the feeling that uh, that I've had, and it's a pleasure that I'll be able to have no regrets because I could have gone to a couple more clubs when I left Huddersfield, but when City come in, it, it was it was no brain. I, I was. I would have run down Oxford Street naked. No, sorry, I can't say that. But, uh, I would have run down and got to, and signed it. But no, it was a great times there for me. Uh, and I'm still, I'm a blue and I still try and get to the games. Um, I've recently just gone back into football because I was at that stage. I was working in a care home in Presswich in Manchester. And uh, I was getting to the stage. Uh, I had my 60th in January. And uh, I thought, I'm just going to be a fan now. You know, and just come and watch City every week. Obviously, I've got back into into the game, so that's uh, that's a good that's good for me. But um, I was out for about a year and a half after coming back from India, um, where we were working over there. We had a great time, but um, I just remember driving down the motorway, thinking that's that's me now. I'm just going to be a blue now, be a proper fan, go around the country watching them play. And then obviously this pandemic's kicked in, but now I've got back in the game, which is good for me. So uh, still, 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 always watch the games on the telly and everything. Still Back jump up and down like a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the game at Scunthorpe, and presumably the, the reason you've had the COVID is because it went through the club, didn't it? You had some games called off. Yeah, that's right. I think you, when when you when you when you uh, you get it, they, they say go back five days where it was. And I was actually in Huddersfield. We were playing Huddersfield under twenty three. Scunny was. So they're saying if you could have got it there, you could have picked it up there. So you don't know with this, you know, it just it's your, I, I never dreamt I'd get it and then buy it, just knock it out of you. Uh, and I feel so much for all the people that were in our care homes as well who passed away uh, with the COVID. It was tough that, it was a tough uh, to working in that industry. And, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was that Fed uh, care home in, in Presswich and great, a great family there, all the people that worked there and all, all the nurses and everyone. You know, just they just accepted me in. There was a, a few reds and a few blues. A few of the older ones seen me play, so I was chuffed about that. Um, but uh, no, we're okay at the minute. Good, good. Well, obviously, we could talk a little bit more about what you achieved at City um, as we go along. We've got two other guests, both members of the Forever Blue team. We've got Harlan and we've got Andy. So um, welcome along, guys. Harlan is um, celebrating his birthday today, along with Paul Dickoff and Kevin Horlock. So uh, happy birthday to Harlan. And this is just a coincidence, but Andy celebrated his birthday yesterday. So it's like a big birthday surprise and, and celebration, uh, this particular <laughs> podcast. Um, do you two, well, you won't, I don't suppose, Harlan, but Andy, you must have memories of, of Mark playing, playing the sky blue shirt on. Yeah, certainly do. Uh, you know, goes back to the to the early days when I was uh, living in Manchester. And if you remember what I've said to you before, Saturdays was rugby for me. So I really only got the chance to watch uh, the Blues midweek. Um, you know, when I was uh, coming down Oxford Road from Manchester Poly, opposite the BBC, uh, down there on the bus, and you'd see the lights and you'd say, right, who were the Blues playing tonight? Whether it was, you know, uh, the first team or, or the old, football combination or whatever. It was always great to get in and watch uh, watch Mark and the other players and the young ones coming through at that time. So, yeah, uh, got some fond memories. And obviously the one that sticks out, obviously, is the, the full Members' Cup final. And, and um, you know, the, 
the hat trick that wasn't. Absolutely. I still say it was a hat trick. I don't care. No claims of own goals and all <laughs> that. As far as I'm concerned, Mark scored a hat trick at Wembley. Um, now, the first subject we, we're going to go into is clearly the the, the win at Sheffield United uh, this weekend. And, and I've just written a column, I write a weekly column in the local newspaper. And I, and I can't deny that I sat there, um, and this is going to shock people, maybe, um, but I sat there a little bit bored um, watching that game at Sheffield United. Uh, City had 80% possession, as usual. Um, lots of it was was sort of safe passing sideways and backwards. And we know that they are far better than the majority of teams that they play, including Sheffield United. They were always going to win that game, in my opinion, one way or another. Um, it was just a matter of when the chance came. And it feels as if Pep's style of football, which is to be lauded him, and it's been unbelievable, the trophies, the, the great football, etc., is, is all about, um, you know, dominating games, making sure that the opposition um, have very little of the ball, so therefore can pose very little threat. And, and as time goes along and they do all the chasing at the back, that eventually they succumb to one great ball by Kevin De Bruyne, one bit of magic by Raheem Sterling, whatever it might be, a goal goes in and the game is won. And that's how it feels probably 90% of the games that City play these days are. But I can't deny, maybe it was partly because of the empty stadiums, but I can't deny that I sat there at times a little bit bored. I then in the afternoon went and watched another game, Curzon Ashton against Darlington, because obviously I'm a journalist in the, uh, the Tameside area. And, uh, and actually, in a way, I enjoyed it more because even though it was a 3-0 scoreline and Darlington were much the better team, actually the, the competitiveness and the, the passion that I saw on the pitch um, were, were of a higher level. The quality was nowhere near the level, but the, the passion was. And, and Mark, you more than anybody, to me, embody passion. When you played football, you played with passion. You're... Being a City fan absolutely came through in everything that you did. You did it actually at other clubs as well, to be fair. But when you were pulling on the City shirt, you know, you played with heart. You you never, there was never a, an ounce of energy left on the pitch. And I missed that a little bit. Do, 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 do you know where I'm coming from with the, you know, the game becoming a little bit boring? Yeah, I mean, I, I recently opened a, a local football club in Huddersfield, Golker FC, Golker United FC. I opened the stand for them, uh, just cut the ribbon, and they ended up staying and watching the game that night. And there was about 300 people in there. And see the community come together and everyone, there was loads, you know, lads there and women there all having, a, you know, a pint or half a, half a beer, watching their team play, their local team play. There were a lot of Huddersfield Town fans there, but it was amazing. And then on the Saturday, I go to, to sit in a dugout where there's no supporters at all. And you can't... A lot of the times, you, I call it momentum. When you've got momentum and when you're passing well, the crowd don't have to give you a boost. But obviously, with this pandemic now and allowing no fans in, I think it's killed the game a little bit. What about you two? Birthday um, boy first. Or me. Yeah, I think it's one of them, isn't it? Like, I feel like when, when we had fans in the ground, Ian, it was like we were, we were, we were, playing, we were playing more... Possession with a purpose, and I think now because because there's no real need in the ground to, to 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 necessarily play at a certain intensity level. Like Mark said, you know the fans give you that boost, or the fans demand something of you in the ground because there's not that impose you know imposing demand on the players in the stadium. They're almost in control of it, 
Now they're almost in control of what they do all the time anyway, but we almost feel like as fans in the ground, you you kind of hold something over the players to say, you know, you've and Mark will be able to say this as a player, but you've got a responsibility to perform for us. Now in the ground, um, when we're not there and when you're watching on TV, you can't make your feelings heard. You know, if you're not if it's not intense enough, you can't let the players know that you need a bit of a lift. You know, the come on, the, the come on, let's have a real go here. And it just seems to be that we've kind of fallen into, you know, we've not changed the style of play, but what we've done is we've, we've become a bit more um, passive in the way we attack. We've also become a bit slower on the ball, I think, for me. There's not as much kind of drive in there and there's not as much desire to score three, four and five goals. And um, I mean, for me, you know me, I'll never find it boring because I watch it that in depth and I know that like not everyone does. So I'm always looking for what I want to look for and watching certain players, etc. But I can I can completely understand what you're saying in regards to the fact that it seems to be that the intensity levels dropped and we've gone from playing possession with a purpose to for possession's sake a lot of the times in the behind closed doors games. I mean, the game at Curzon that I saw was behind closed doors, but the difference was that these lads. I spoke to the chairman afterwards, and you know, roughly at that level, he tells me that they're on about maybe 200, 400 pounds, you know. Um, so they're doing it not for the money. They're doing it because they love football and they want to play the game. And this is not to cast aspersions at all on any of the City players. Um, but, you know, you look at a player like Riyad Mahrez, who has got fantastic technical ability, you know, dream, it's dream quality. Um, you know, the, the way he can kill a ball when it comes down, his, his left foot is like a wand. But he also gives the impression sometimes that he only does enough. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't go that extra mile. And I've seen a lot of criticism about about him, particularly, but other players as well. Um, what, what do you think, Andy? Well, touching on just on Mares for a second, because I, I saw quite a lot of that yesterday. For me, um, we didn't have any anything like the cutting edge down the down that right hand side. Only Kyle was providing anything, really. Riyad was quite happy to coast through the game and pass the ball back. I think if the stats show it, there'll be at least 70 or 80% of the times he touched the ball, it went back to someone in midfield. So whether that's something that they're working on, that, he want, that the manager wants him to do, I don't think so. I think he's in the team to drive us forward. We saw a completely different uh, attitude, I thought, from Raheem on the other flank yesterday, where he had the space with Torres playing. Um, quite well, I thought, up front, getting into into space but not finishing. So I, I wasn't bored by the game quite yesterday, the same as, as you allude to, but we were playing a team who are bottom with one point. And, and, you know, after seven games, and we play another on Sunday, who's got quite a few more points after seven games. I think they're on 16 points. Then we'll know whether or not there's passion. Then we'll know whether or not there's uh, quality. Um, I found myself watching... Some of the new signings a little bit yesterday, and uh, quite quite pleased by what I saw really. And I thought there was a bit of passion, particularly from from Ruben Diaz. You know, he looked like he was vocal and and doing things that you expect of a of a centre half. Maybe not after half a dozen games, he it looks like he's got a bit about him. So so I was pleased that it looked like we bought somebody who's who's, who's not hiding behind the other players around him. Um, and and I think Torres as well shows already that he wants to be on the pitch and he, and he wants to get in the right places and score. And he scored a couple of goals, obviously, in, in other games. 
So I wasn't snoozing off, but if I'm honest, I only got out of my chair once when Kyle whacked that one in. And, and you know, Bramall Lane, you'll remember last season in the evening game we played there, you know, we limped to a victory when Amorit got, got uh, injured. Um, and it's a great place to go. Still one of the old style, I think, stadiums that, and I'm missing it so much. I really am. It's killing me not being able to enjoy football in the way that I've, I have done, you know, for, for many, many years. So you try and make the most of it, really. But no, it's uh, not quite boring, but it, it's, it's not something I'm passionate about, frankly, at the moment. Go on, Harlan. To, to touch on what you said, Ian, about Mahrez, I just think for me, like, with, 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 with a player like Mahrez, you, you need to... I said this on, on, on the video I did with, with Carl, who was on the pod last week, for, for those that don't know who Carl is, that with a player like Phil Ford and he's a street footballer, you never want to knock that out of him. You never want to take that out of him. You never want to condition that player to play a pep style of football that much that you lose that kind of raw talent that he's got. Same with Mares, He's got that ability, like you said, to kill a ball. He's got a wand of a left foot. He's got that, that ability to, to take someone on his left foot and chop back onto his right, take someone to the byline. And you saw bits of that last season. You don't see much of it anymore. And I think that this inverted wingers for me is preventing players like that from showing what they can actually do from a magical perspective. And for me, you're almost stopping players doing what you sign them to do. And you're asking them to, like Andy said, you know, kill a ball and then play back into midfield and recycle possession in the final third instead of looking to, to you know, and try and walk the ball in, in instead of trying to trying to do that unpredictable thing that, that, that them defenders aren't going to know you're going to do. Because we have come quite, you know, we have become quite predictable, and even in the final third now. Never mind, you know, in our own half or, 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 or you know, in the second third. But I just feel like Mares has got that ability to do something unpredictable, and he's not being allowed to do it because they're too conditioned now, and we're starting to overplay a bit. Therefore, we're not scoring as many goals because we're not as free in the final third. And I think for me, we, we're almost trying to control everything that accurately that we're actually playing ourselves out of goal-scoring opportunities and not into them. A couple of the positives uh, very much at the moment are Kyle Walker, who's having an amazing season. Um, he's showing a combination of electric speed, which we've always known he's had. We've seen passion, we're seeing leadership. Um, I, I, I think he's playing amazingly well at the moment. Um, and obviously he didn't play yesterday, but Phil Folden is a player that everybody wants to do well, who has a bags of energy. And you, Mark, having worked not only as a manager yourself, but also in youth football a lot, and been the example of... Um, is Where were you born, Mark? Uh, Oxford Road in Manchester. So you're Same the Oxford Road in Yester then. So let's call you the Oxford Road in Yester, as opposed to the Stockport in Yester. But you know, having gone through that that route that you've gone through of being that player that wore your heart on your sleeve, of being the coach, of being the manager, um, it, it, you would presumably agree with us all that somebody like Foden, if he comes through in the way that we all want him to, is an absolute diamond because. He's got heart that, that you can't install into a player. Hundred percent. It's been you know you don't want to you don't want to say more or say anything to Foden. Just just go and embrace that pitch. Go, I call it to the young players than that. It says there's your dance floor. Go and express yourself. There's no fear. Don't give him any fear and just let him go out. And he plays with freedom and he dribbles. There's not a lot. These guys now are dribble, great dribblers. 
we've lost that a little bit. And I keep going back to about the fans. That the fans, you don't play for the your name on the shirt. You play for the badge that you've got on your on your heart here. This that's what you play for, and that's what I did at City. And and when you've got momentum, especially down the kid packs, if you was running down the wing, you knew someone, one of your teammates was coming past you because the fans are more or less telling you what to do. So but, uh, with Foden, no, he, he, he's, he's going to be a star. He's different class. And, he, and, he, and you, you know he just loves the game as well. You know, see some, some players who are on that much money, they just come off, the, the face doesn't change, they get substituted, they just sit down. you got young Foden there. He just makes me smile. You know, I've not watched City for a couple of uh, weeks now, obviously, because of the, the pandemic. Um, but um, it sounds like we're doing okay. But uh, I seen Walker play a couple of three or four weeks, and he was flying. And you look and thought, yeah, he's he's got he's got that fire inside him. Even though there's no fans in there, he can maybe might be about motivation as well. You know, some players can only motiv- have motivation when there's a full house in, or if it's empty, it's like, oof, you know, it depends. It depends. But no, Foden, I think he's spot on, and I think the lads are really speaking well uh, on this podcast. I think they, you know, they really. You can see that they're proper blues and, and they want us to, to do well. And they're analyzing us and they want them to grow better. They've not really, you know, uh, had, a, had a, a really pop at the, the lads, but um, that's us, isn't it? That's City fans, that's what we are. We always look on that side where, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> We're not sure. We've had no answers today for some reason. <laughs> and it might be only two minutes gone of the game, you know? You had a close-up look at City's next batch when, I mean, I was there as well and I saw you on the pitch when Scunthorpe's first team played City's EDS team in the uh, leasing.com trophy. I think Liam Delap scored and played that night. And, and obviously you're a perfect person to ask about him and, and the other players. Uh, did you, are you surprised that Delap's not been given more game time in, in this period where Sergio and Gabriel Jesus are not available? Yeah, maybe, but Pep's Pep, you know, he, he'll, he'll do what he thinks is right for that player, but um, he's, he's got good physique as well. He looks powerful and he's got strength, which is good, and especially in the in the Premier League. Well, that team, I don't know if you not noticed, I mean, we, we didn't, to be truthful, we didn't have our first team out. We had the back four was, I think we had about 16-year-old finishing the game. But anyway, it was at the end, I stood, and when they come past, I give them a little punch on on the on the wrist because I was so proud of Man City team, and they would just beat us. But I was so proud. They got a goal. They wanted to go and get another goal. Got a goal. They got want to get another goal. You know, we we had a right pop up to our, our players in there. You know, you you got, but they got turned over by a good team that attacked excellently, got back behind the ball excellently, and you're thinking. This is looking good for the future of our players. Hopefully, you've got a manager that's going to give them chance, like he's done with Foden. He's got Doyle there in there. Now he's got a few of the other players in there. But the boy that you're just saying there, he's, he, he looks a powerful kid. He looks like he could handle Premiership football. He's got an attitude, yeah. doesn't he? I mean, he he gets, seems to get booked every time I see him. Um, but he's got an attitude, and you've got to have an attitude to make it in football, haven't you? Oh, 100%, yeah. You know, it's, 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 that's one of the top things that I say. What's their attitudes like? You know, when you get people to come in on trial, what they like around the dressing room, what they like with the players, what they like with the staff, what's their upbringing, what attitude, what's their attitude like? And that's that's massive now in the game. It always has been anyway. When, we, when I played, it's just having the right attitude to pull that shirt on, get your boots on, socks, shorts, 
get out. I remember Kipaks coming out and you could see the Kipaks and it was, if it was a good crowd in there, it was packed in there. And that gives me, I've still got their memories now, but yeah, attitude is, is, a, is, a, is a great word, cheesy. While we're on the subject of memories, I should ask you really just to, it's, it's the cliche, predictable question, but what's your favourite memory then of, of being on that pitch in a blue shirt? Scoring on my debut at home, peeled off to my mum and dad that were in the stand, they had season ticket holders. But um, I scored from a penalty and I peeled off to the kipax first and I was giving it all my jumping like I used to do with my fist up in the air. And I thought, there's something not right here. None of my teammates have come after me. And I had to retake the penalty because the, the keepers apparently moved. So when I got back to the penalty spot, I could hardly breathe. <laughs> I was anyway, I stuck it in, but I turned around to my me, me dad and my dad was shaking his fist at me and I was shaking my fist back to say, I've scored my first ever goal for Man City and we used to watch him on the Kipax. And to do that feeling, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, it, was, it was a great night. I think it was Ipswich Town, actually, who, 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 who uh, I think we turned them over 1-0, I think. Turned them over. That's a good expression when you win 1-0. Uh, go on, Andy. Have you, did you want to ask a question? Yeah, I, I was just relating to what you were saying there about, um, you know, the competition where the young players are coming up against, call it hardened professionals. And it seems to me to be something that, uh, visible yesterday, you know, Torres was getting, uh, let's say, a little bit of attention, as you used to call it. And I'm sure Mark can remember coming through as a young player that there were centre-halves foaming at the mouth at the prospect of putting one down the back of your calves and elbowing you, pinching you, everything that they could do. And this is, to me, one of the issues that the club and other, other clubs have got uh, an issue with quite clearly is how to bridge that kind of player, in particular, a place like centre-forward, um, you know, to actually put you in the, the thick of it at the right time and how to get that experience. And maybe that, that cup competition, maybe the Carabao Cup's the, the logical place as well for someone like us to, to, to blood more, more of our youth, more than we've been prepared to do. But in such a short competition now that the, the first-team players tend to be in the in, in the thick of it quite early on because clearly we want to win it. So so maybe that's one thing that this season perhaps perhaps we should sacrifice, if you like, the the complaints about all this overplaying and just simply play the kids in the Carabao Cup and give them a chance and say, okay, it's not to say anything negative about it, but we've got a ridiculous programme of fixtures to fulfil. And the ambitions of the club are, I think you know, clearly that they want to be competing for the Premier League and the Champions League in spite of this uh, this situation. So if we want to see now, you know, and, and I think we've got some great young players in many, many positions, I think it's about time we saw them, you know, and they're not going to get starts in the first team regularly unless there are real injury uh, problems. Just want to talk your thoughts about that, particularly Mark's, given that, you know, he's got much more experience of it personally and and through bringing youngsters into 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 top level football, yeah, I think with the youngsters, it's like anything. When I played, I made my debut at Huddersfield at eighteen. Uh, I got I got told by the manager, "You're playing on Saturday on the Friday. You're playing on Saturday," and it was wow, I'm playing for the first team. But my mentality was good then. Well, it still is like, but I was ready. He must have knew I was ready to go and play men's football. 
And I think this is the case with the that especially that team that played against Scunthorpe. Uh, they had a desire, and they looked like you know if the we had a, a few of our old heads out there who were trying to get near them to tackle them to give them a bit of a kick and see what they like after they didn't give them a kick. But um, I think you're right. You, you you've got to players only get to see if they're ready if they get an opportunity. Mm. That, that's the most important thing in football. You, once you get that opportunity, you've got to grab it. I say that to every club I coach at. You've got to grab that opportunity. If you don't grab it, don't be moaning. Don't be sulking. You had the chance. And some of these lads that played against us, you're looking at them thinking, you know, if you wanted to take people on loan like the, the lower divisions do, you're looking at the Man Cities now. You're talking to their recruitment about could he handle League Two? You know, what's he like, you know, if it's kicking off? Um, and if you're getting good vibes back, you, you do you, you you don't you don't take a risk because you know they're good enough to play at that level. You give them that opportunity. Harry Kane did it, didn't he? He was all over the place playing at lower clubs, and what a player he is now. I think it's, I mean Arlen probably watches more football than, than 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 me certainly. And what I seem to notice more and more is we're coming up against ex City Academy players doing well now at clubs in, in England and abroad. And it's something that um, you kind of wonder whether we've let them go a bit too soon. Uh, when you look at teams like Chelsea and Liverpool, perhaps, where they've got far more loanees than we have, we tend to be keener on shipping them on and looking for the, I think, payback when they get moved on the second time. I don't know what everyone thinks about that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what Mark said. It's it's that old sink or swim, isn't it? Really, like you throw a player in and basically say, like, shows what you can do. You've you've been telling me that you know you've been nibbling at the manager, asking for this opportunity for so long. We're now giving it you, and and you know the the player might might come on. He might be a bit nervous. He might have one game where he he, he flaps a bit. Then you give him maybe another two or three, and then you you look at his average performances and say, oh, you know. It, not quite worked out right now. We'll, we'll try again in, in, in a few weeks or something. But with Delapi, and I think it's important to mention, we've not we've not had that player. I mean, when was the last time we had a player that had a bit of... And I mean, Fernandinho's got it. I mean, you could put a bet on him getting booked every week and you'd be quids in. Say that every time. But with Delap, um, we've not had a player that's got that bite, have we? That's got that... that that's, that's that young and already has that kind of bite about them where they're going to play a bit naughty and a bit... Dirty, and when he's on the last man, he might, you know, if he gets an elbow in the back, he'll give him one back. And I'm not saying you have to be a horrible player, but for me, we're too, we're too nice on the pitch, even now. You know, and you look at some of the stuff that happens, like when we play Leeds and, and Dallas goes down the back of Bernardo and stuff. I'm not promoting that, but what I mean is, you almost need to show the opposition that we are City, we play the most beautiful football in the league, but we're willing to do the dirty stuff as well, and we'll give you a, an elbow back and we'll. Will get stuck in, and I think that the lap, the lap already having that at the age he's at. I mean, he's what 18, nearly 19, 17, sorry, nearly 18. The fact that he's already got that head on him where he's he's willing to get you know and get himself booked, but for the shirt, I think that's massively important. And I, and I, and I really like that about him because we haven't got you know, th there's a lot of great players in our team, but how many of them can he say really, really, really would put their own necks on the line to really kind of you know get the result? And and really like I'm not saying that they don't dig in, but just do the naughty stuff and 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 risk themselves. Fernandinho does it, Walker does it now and again as well. So I think the lap's already got that. But with regards to that, Andy, yeah, Frimpong, he's gone to Celtic. He's having a storm. Um, Frimpong, like Ian, we watched him in the Youth Cup final, didn't we, the other year against 
at Liverpool and we were unfortunate to lose that and we should have had a pen and that's a long story. It's against Liverpool, isn't it? So you just you just have to accept it. But yeah, uh, Frimpong, great player. We had I think we had Olivia Nacham a few years ago as well. He's now at Celtic. Um, you know, Angelino's on loan at Leipzig. I know he didn't have a great game the other night, but we, we have lost players that I think would have been able to, to muster it at City. And I think that's the reason why now we need to keep players like Delap. Because if you let a player like that go, you know, that could be, he could, he's going to go on to be world-class, in my opinion. And you don't want to be losing players like him now at 18. Yeah, but you mentioned Angelino, and he's a great example because he, I watched him a lot in City's youth team. He then went out to New York City and and actually went, I, I, I'm not as interested as in New York City as I was at the beginning of that that sort of process. And I suppose City will like me saying that because obviously we're supposed to be into all of these satellite clubs now, but I've, I've not, not been watching New York City at all. But when he was there and, he, and I was watching, he wasn't playing particularly well. He came back, he's back in the first team for a little bit. And some people wanted him to stay, some people didn't. He's gone to Leipzig, obviously. They then win a game and he scores goals and everybody says, great player, why have we let him go when we've got problems at left back? And then they lose 5-0 and everybody says he had a nightmare. And so it isn't quite as simple, is it, of just a player going out and going into the real world, as it were. Tosin Adarabioyo, player that I rather liked as well, spent you know a long time, I know he's gone permanently now, but you know, has, has had a long period of time, you know, on loan at other clubs. Patrick Roberts was signed for £10 million, I think it was, from Fulham and spent a lot of time at, at other clubs. And again, he's never fulfilled that potential. And I noticed that City have been linked with a, a young winger, you know, in the last couple of days that they're talking about bringing in. And you think, and now the sceptical side of me starts to think, you know what, you know, don't get excited about that because he'll probably never play in the first team. Is You know, this becomes part of the sort of, you know, um, bring a player in a relatively modest amount, seems a lot these days, but still, and then you sell him on for a bigger amount in the future and it actually just helps to keep the money coming in. And obviously, Mark, as a, as, as a man who's steeped in academy football, do you think that's what City are doing now, bringing players in to the academy young talents, no doubt, from, from all over Europe, all over the world, playing them for a bit, eventually letting them go out on loan and then selling them at a profit as an actual plan? Or do you think they're still trying to bring players like Foden uh, through? You know, what happens to Taylor Bellisarwood in the future? Does he end up just being sold as a profit as well? Difficult to, to say for me, but City's Academy, because I'm, I'm, I'm not in there amongst it and I don't know what their processes are. But I know at Huddersfield we had we had three objectives, and the three objectives was one to get a player into the first team to play for Huddersfield Town. Uh, the second was to to make um, a lot of appearances, and the third one was to sell them on. And obviously, we we brought a few players in that went on to Philip Billing went to Bournemouth for about ten or eleven million quid. I I left the club then. Then <laughs> Dwayne Owens who's playing for. For, uh, for Derby County now. I quite like when players leave and they go and make a career for themselves because it shows you've got something about them. But I, I can't really touch on Manchester City's academy because I'm not in there, you know. I don't know what their process is. I don't know what, you know, they, they do with the players, whether they're going to make money. If they have to, every football club has to make money. So whether that's one of the processes where, you know, you get him into the first team, you, you 
bring him in for 10 million and sell him, and sell him for 20 million. But I, I don't really know it's easy. It's not sitting on the fence. It's just that I'm not particularly what uh, City do. It's a fair answer. Can I ask Mark something, Ian? Um, with regards to that then, Mark, obviously, Ian's part in Angelino, obviously saw a lot more of Angelino at New York City than me. When Angelino came back, I actually thought that his positives outweighed the negatives when he came back. And I actually thought that his delivery was outstanding. But for me, him and Mendy, neither of them are left-backs. And I always look at Mendy and he comes in for a lot of criticism. And I always say, like, he's, he's not a left-back. He's not got that defensive nous about him because he's probably never had it coached into him. Do you, you know, we signed him as a left wing back from Monaco and everybody, you know, the majority of City fans kept saying we'd signed a left back and we're expecting him to do like the, the Zabaleta type stuff, that old school defensive type stuff that he probably doesn't have in his locker. Is it possible as an academy manager or someone within an academy and you've worked in one that you can like maybe mislabel a player at like 12, 13, 14 and then... As they develop, you actually go, you know, we, we maybe got him wrong. Maybe he'd be better here or there. And, and maybe kind of Mendy was labelled as a left-back, as a 14, 15-year-old. And he's just kind of stayed there and no one's ever actually gone, you know, let's let's actually stop labelling him as a left-back. Look at what his actual attributes are and have him as a wide midfielder or, or a left-winger, for example, because that's where I think he'd be best deployed. Yeah, and I watched Mendy against Monaco that night when when we beat him in the in the uh, cup, and he was flying up and down, and you're thinking, "Whoa, what mind him? He's 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 like a left winger that night." And then obviously we've we've sold him. I don't think we, we we've maybe worked with his defensive pack because he maybe doesn't know that he, may, he might have been brought up as a left winger or a left centre forward. I know it's staff, but you know you don't know. But um, I think players, I think the young ones. You know you've got a good one if he can if he can adapt to a couple of positions, you know a few positions. You know he, if he can he can adapt. You've got a good player on your hands, but to 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 move someone, say, bring someone in who's not been playing regular as a left back, I think it's tough for the player. And um, I think you've got to look at the recruitment as well. You know if if you want in a left back and you don't you don't really want to be bringing a left winger in. You know you got to you've got he's got to work on that def- defensive side 100 like you said, but. Um, It'd be, it, it's uh, it's young players when you're working with them, and some players you can see that they're a natural sitting midfield player. I mean, the, the young boy Doyle at uh, City, uh, I watched an under 18s game, and he was absolutely steaming into tackles. Uh, I know he's come through with Mike Doyle and all that, he's come through a footballing background, but he was having a go at his teammates to pull the things out, and he was getting stuck in. I thought to myself, do you know what? He's going to play in City's first team because he's got that attribute. So, hopefully, if he gets the chance, he, he loved tackling. He, he could see he was an, he was a natural winner. And there's not a lot of young players sometimes like that now. Obviously, with their agents and things like that, they just want the they just want the dough. They want the money. But I like, young players, you know, give you a really good boost if they go on and make a career. Because I I, have, I always class them as my sons. You know, I had 125. Sons, when was at Huddersfield, because we had 125 kids in the academy, like you know. So, um, I like I like to see young players be given opportunities, and especially if City can give them. And you're a local lad, I think the fans buzz, buzz off that as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, your Josh must be a bit jealous though. If you've got 125 sons, <laughs> other sons, <laughs> I've got uh, a Josh and I've got a, a Jacob. I've got oh, another yeah. son. You've got grandsons as well, haven't you? 
I've got one. He's a he's a massive blue. He was a blue when he was one one second old. He was a blue. <laughs> when we knew it was when it was it was a grandson. He went. He's a safe man. <laughs> what do you think of this current team then, uh, Mark? I mean, who are the players that that? I mean, you're too old now. Don't want to put a label on you or anything, but you're too old now to have to be a fan in that sort of boyish way that we all were when we were younger. But is there any, all right? Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, you're wrong. I'm still. When say you're on, I'm upstairs and my missus will come and say, "Will you shut up?" I'm up, jumping up and down when we scored. When the Guerrero scored that winner, when we won the league, I was up and down the stairs. We went over to Manchester. We parted for the night. It was it was absolutely brilliant. So, it's, that's never left me. I still think I'm like 21, and I still think I can be a player, but I can't run anymore. My, my knees just won't tell my brain to run, or my ankles they just they just they're not there anymore. But don't lose. I don't lose it. No, I have to disagree with you there, cheesy. All right. Well, who do you idolise in this uh, City team then? Colin Bell, <laughs> Rodney Marsh, uh, Aguero. I love Aguero. Uh, I just think he's just just a, he looks a, he looks a nice guy as well. But Aguero for me, if you're saying to me Aguero, because he the top players produce, don't they? They score goals when they, you know, he might have missed chance. Um, I, I just love them all. You know, whenever they come in, I just like to, I just like to watch us. Um, I try and be positive when I see us. But um, no, Sterling's having fantastic time and scoring great goals. Going back to a few of the questions that the lads were saying, I, I played at Aston Villa under Graham Taylor, and there was a there was a winger there called Tony Daly, uh, and he came in. We had a yeah, <laughs> we had a team meeting, uh, and Dale's must have been. I was about mid 25, 26. Dale's a, a young lad coming through the system. And he called and he pointed to him and said, you know what, guys? He's going to play, the, he's going to start the next six football league games for Aston Villa Football Club, OK? And we just went, yeah, all right. And the first first game, second, third, we're thinking, well, but that just made Dales' career. Someone giving him a bit of trust saying, you're going to play the next six games for Aston Villa. You're going to definitely start for Aston Villa. That must have given Tom Dales so much of a boost. And the rest of the lads took took to him because we were guiding and helping him make his career take off and that's what Graham Taylor's uh, management was like. He'd give young players uh, chances. Do you think then, therefore, that leads on to a question that a lot of City fans talk about, which is the constant changing of the team. I know we had a, a little blip recently when Pep picked the same team two games in a row, but generally there's quite a lot of change. Do you, do you feel that players now... See, it's such a dilemma, isn't it? You've got Kevin De Bruyne getting this this sort of feeling. It didn't quite pull, but he had a stiff um, hamstring or whatever when he was on international duty. So then they take him out for a couple of games to protect him. And so I, I get scientifically that you don't want to overplay players. But at the same time, is that sort of been able to say to, let's just use Phil Foden as an example, you are playing in the next six or seven games. Is that not better for him that he, he has that consistent tempo that he feels in the team? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, 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 would, it would improve, especially Foden. If you know you're going to play the next six, six games for Manchester City Football Club and start them, you might get taken off. You know, you might get substituted, but you're definitely going to start the next game as well. I think it's a massive boost for young players. And looking back now, I was only thinking about it. It came to me head there when thinking, that's a big decision for a manager to say for a young player like Tony Daly, 
you know, you're going to go and play the next. So he must have seen something in Dales what no one else seen. Mm. And he'll be like, Pep, Pep might be the same. You know, he, he might see someone and say, right, we're going to, I'm going to start him. But there's a lot of games coming up at the moment, isn't there? There's a lot of, uh, we, we're having the same. We, we, we're playing, I think we had, I think we had nine games in three weeks, four weeks or something. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And it is tough on the players now. It was always well, tough when, when I played, to be truthful, because we, I, I think looking at my stats for City, I think I played 50-odd games. In, I was only there for one season. So we must have had a... We had a decent cup run. Obviously, we had the Members' Cup final. But still have a lot of... You know, we, we played on a Saturday and we played on a Sunday. But we just got on with it. You know, now I think they pull them out because there's a little twing, you know, little twing in the hamstring or something. But anyway, that's my waffle. Well, Ian, uh, there, is, just, there is a question Ian. that leads on from that, which is what Pep said in the press conference. I mean, it's not the first time it's been mentioned and probably not the first time I've discussed it on here. But Pep um, was asked about the five substitutes and whether or not City should have, not just City, but every Premier League team should have five substitutes to use. I don't mean on the bench, but they can bring on five in a game. And there are so many pros and cons to that. I listened to what Pep said. And Pep was very much on the side of player welfare and this would be a way of not overplaying players of, 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 so that they can effectively probably play in every game but never actually play 90 minutes. Now, I did a lot of commentaries with, with Fred Eyre and a, a guy I greatly admire, but obviously quite old school, Fred. And every time Aguero would go off with 80 minutes, he'd go, not got through 90 minutes again. You know, that would be one of his little <laughs> phrases. Uh, but in the modern game, that is part of it. I mean, do you, I'll ask all three of you, but I'll start with with you, Mark. Um, Pep, Pep wants to protect players by doing this. The other side of this argument is that, and I'm speaking as a diehard, lifelong, obsessed Manchester City fan who only wants the best for my team. However, I think, well, hang on, the big six that we call them these days have a massive advantage if they can bring five substitutes on uh, because the teams lower down the leagues who haven't got the depth of squad, haven't got the quality of players, they can't realistically do that. You know, so this gives a massive advantage, another massive advantage to City, Liverpool, United, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, that the other clubs don't have. So I can see both sides of the argument. Which side are you three on? Let's start with you, Mark. Five substitutes or not? Yeah, I'd, I'd have a go at that, five, getting five players on. For the it's reason big, of player... It depends how, the, depends, depends how the game's going. You know, you might need you might need to put someone on who's got a little bit more pace than the lads that you started with. You might want to put another extra defender on to keep you to whatever score it is. So I, I think that uh, would be a bonus. And I, I suppose as well, if you're uh, if you sat on the bench as well, and there's five of you, and you and you all get on, you know, it's gonna you're gonna feel part of it. Well, you, you do still feel part of it, but if you're getting game time as well, that's you know, it's all right. You want him maybe not to use the subs because. The, the team's played fantastically, fantastically well, and I think sometimes when uh, managers bring players off with with five ten minutes to go, it's like like Aguero. He's mostly scored a hat trick for us or a couple of good goals. So it's, he gets the obviously we can't get it now with no no fans going in, but it's a fantastic feeling when you come off a pitch and the fans are cheering you and clapping you cheesy. I've experienced it quite a lot of times in my career, especially when I played for City. I, I, I'd come off like and get a, get a, you know. You knew that the fans were having you, because they, they, they were just buzzing. And uh, now I think I think 
I'm going to say I'd go with the five subs, mate. Andy? No, definitely not. Um, bit old school, I'm afraid. Uh, I actually read this morning uh, in my newspaper that uh, they were making comparisons against this 63 uh, unbeaten home record that Liverpool have achieved yesterday. And Graeme Soonis said, yeah, we, they did it with 39 players. We did it with 20. And I think that's the difference between that era and this era. There was one substitute, I think, back in those days. Yeah, there was. Um, if I go back to when I played rugby union, when I started playing, there were no replacements. Substitutes don't exist, didn't exist then. Um, and if you went off, it, it, you know, you could have another player replace you. If a doctor said you couldn't play, that's how... Uh, that's how it was back then. Now, when you're playing rugby union at the top level, they can bring on a brand new pack second half. If the if the front row is not performing, they just replace it with another one. And we've seen that done at uh, elite level. So I think the idea of, let's say, the bench becoming um, a weapon um, with five players, you really are taking, uh, you know, taking the teams with the with the uh, with the bigger squads into another stratosphere of uh, of distance away from. From everywhere else, and for for all the reasons that uh, that we face at the moment, I t- actually think this Premier League's the most competitive we've seen. Um, you know, there's there's a good ten or twelve clubs that could finish top five or six this season, and I I like that. I'm enjoying that. That's the one thing I'm seeing in the in, in the results um, coming through, which is which is interesting. It's less predictable. We aren't banging five in. One nil might just have to be one nil, you know, and it, and it's a it's a rebalancing of the of the whole thing. To put five substitutes on is madness for me, and I think it's about time that yeah, Fred was right. It's about time that a player came off knackered after ninety minutes and had to prepare for the next game. What does yeah, a twenty-seven-year-old think? I can see it from, from and this isn't sitting on the fence here, and I can see it from everyone's perspective here, and I can see it from Mark's perspective, taking into account what we were talking about about 20 minutes ago on here, uh, young players and development. I think if you've got five, uh, an ability to put five substitutes on, you make your three normal substitutes, and you could have two insurance ones where you could bring on a Tommy Doyle and you could bring on a Taylor Howard Bellis for the last five minutes of a game if you're winning three or four nil. And you've got your three subs on to change. The, maybe we're winning one nil at sixty. You bring two. You bring De Bruyne on. You bring someone else on. You go two or three up, and then Pep thinks, you know what? We're winning against Sheffield United three nil. I'm going to use the opportunity with the other two subs to put on Taylor and put on Tommy Doyle and give them that Premier League experience. So for that, it could be a good thing. On the other side, I think that the magic of having only three substitutes, even though it can restrict a lot of managers is that it really tests the manager's ability to make the right changes. I think Mark's the most qualified to speak about this, where the manager has to know how fit a certain player is before a game. It's down to the manager to ask the physio or the, the, the medical staff, you know, is it worth the risk of playing him today? Um, you know, the manager's judgment about the game's going so he knows what change needs to be made. And if they get it wrong and then they concede a goal, the manager goes away and goes, that's my bad, that's my fault. Maybe that substitution was wrong. I think if you give a manager five, it's a bit of a get-out-of-jail card, in a sense, on the flip side of it. And then, you know, from the other perspective as well, I can also see that, you know, five substitutes might, you know, upset the integrity of the game where we've got to know three for so long. And 
I honestly think that the five substitutes would only be brought in alongside the fact that it's behind closed doors and it's a it's a it's a time at the moment where it's like we may as well change it because we've got an opportunity to. And I think if everything was different, there'd be no way five substitutes would be spoken about if we'd not been through this pandemic. Why don't we cut the game down to five aside or for an hour then instead? <laughs> what well, are they better ideas? Yeah. I'll play less games. I mean? I'll play less games. <laughs> It's a different game if you do that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I don't accept it for that reason. Right. That's, a good, that's a good thing about f- football, isn't it? Everyone's got opinions. And this is great, <laughs> this podcast, because everyone's speaking. And, and you say, fan, and you speak what is in your mind. You don't speak what's not in your mind. And that's great. I, I love things like this. Well, we'll have you on again, Mark. You've been a great guest. I've got one oh, final man. question to finish this week's podcast, Cheers, um, which is uh, uh, the week week to come obviously City have got Olympiacos on Tuesday and then it's Liverpool before the international break uh, so just just to give you a heads up uh, the podcast I'm not sure whether we're going to record it late on Sunday night or sometime on Monday next uh, next week um, so obviously look out for that on Twitter and Facebook etc but these are the two games that are coming up this week last week's podcast we had um we had, uh, you know, uh, Gary Owen was on and, and and we had Adam on, one of our regulars, and they had quite a heated debate, really, about where City are, which I love the passion, um, you know, and, and, and I just let it run, really. Some people loved it. Some people thought it was a hard listen or watch, but, you know, it's City fans for you. As Mark said, it's, it's raw, real, genuine, agenda-free passion. So I'm not expecting that type of heated debate from you three, but... What are your thoughts ahead of these uh, ahead of these three big games? We'll go the other way around this time. We'll leave the last word to Mark. So, Harlan, what's what's your thoughts on this week? To, to, to be honest, Ian, for me, I, I mean, I've watched both Champions League games, and you know, you know my views on Champions League. I'm not I'm not usually passionate about the Champions League. I'd love us to win it once to tick it off. It's a tick box exercise for me. I'm not as enthralled by it as I was as a kid. It's gone. The magic's gone for me. So I watched the games and I enjoyed them. I like seeing us score goals. I like seeing us play good football. But for me, my focus is on Sunday. So if we cruise past Olympiacos 4-0 or beat them 1-0 and it's one of them games where we've dominated and we only we only score one goal, then I'm happy with that. I just For me, the Olympiacos game now, if I was having six points in group, is, is merely a box-ticking exercise. Get them out of the way and then focus on Liverpool. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about Wednesday or, or, or midweek, shall I say. But Liverpool, I think for me, that's got to be treated... Forget the fact we're behind closed doors. That one is, we'll go right back to the start of the podcast. That's where the passion will be shown. That's where we'll see the players play for the shirt. That's where players like Fernandinho, from his experience of playing for us and against Liverpool, and your Bernardo Silvers that covers eight miles in a game, you know, that's where all them players will start to really take a foothold and go, you know what? This is, this is one, this is one for all the years and the past couple of years where the rivalry has been built where I think it would be like a cup final and I want it to have the atmosphere to it. I want to be able to watch it from home and feel like we're in the ground. And I think I will do when we play Liverpool. I want to treat it, you know, I want them to treat it serious. I want them to treat it like a, any other game. Forget there's no fans in the ground. Win it and win it well. And if we do, then I think it will give us that momentum that Mark was on about that you need to progress through the season. But I honestly think that it will be two wins in a row again. This week, I think we'll beat Olympiacos, whether it be 1-0 or 3-0 or, or 4-0 or whatever. And then I think we'll beat Liverpool. It'll probably be a tight one. I reckon a 2-1, but in our favour this time round because last November's one was a, a destroying one to come home from, to be honest with you. Andy? 
Um, I don't care who we put out midweek. We've got six points. We're going to come out of that group. We're going to qualify. Um, you know, I think really, honestly, it's got to be all about Sunday. Um, our game in hand. Uh, if we beat Liverpool, we're two points behind with a game in hand. Um, no doubt about it, it would be uh, seismic in terms of our Premier League aspirations to beat them this early on. Uh, we did, we, you know, we gave them a good hiding last time out. I think, unfortunately, Fernandinho, I don't think will be available for, for Sunday. No, he won't. As far, as I, that, yeah. as far as I know. And I know Rodri put in a shift yesterday, but I don't think it's the same, is it? Sheffield United and uh, Liverpool. So we'll know more about his uh, defensive midfield capabilities. And they're a leaky bucket. They've, they've given more goals away uh, this season than, than they really were expecting to. And they haven't got, obviously, the players at centre-half that they would like. Neither have we got a recognised striker. So I don't think it's cut and dried next Sunday, but I think what we've got to do is we've got to we've got to go into every 50-50 ball thinking we're going to win it. And that'll be players like Walker and De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva showing that they're they're you know the captains of the team and, and there's some of the newer players as well. I don't think we need to worry about Amarik's uh, passion. I think he's shown plenty of that. I really think that this sets up nicely for you know, shutting up a few journalists and, and TV people uh, about this team and a few of our fans, frankly, and saying, actually, we're making progress. We're doing well yeah. and we've got a lot of players out. So for me, it's a big week. Mark, final word to you. What, what What's your feeling? Not bothered about the uh, European game. I'm, I'm more, I want us to put a marker down against Liverpool. I want yeah, us to put a marker, down, put a marker down and say, this is good this season. This is us. This is what you're going to get. Be in the faces. When that first whistle goes, be in their faces. Be piling into tackles. Show. Show that. We're putting a marker down and you turn us over last year, yeah. This is a new year, mate. That's all I've got in my head. Still feeling my play again after short. <laughs> <laughs> hey, lads, listen, have a great weekend. You I'm too, really pal. It's your birthdays. Nice one. Cheers, Mark. Have a nice, have a nice mate. It means a lot. It's yeah, been no an absolute joy to have you, 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 Mark, on this podcast, and obviously to Andy and to Harlan as well. Um, we'll we'll do another podcast, of course, as I say, next weekend. Big thanks again to CharlesLouis.co.uk, the sponsors of the podcast. Without them, there would be no podcast. I can promise you that. Um, so, big, big shout out to them. Um, have a look at the website, CharlesLouis.co.uk. Um, give them a call if you've got any questions or concerns or anything and I'm sure they'd be delighted to help you um, so big big week for Manchester City um, fingers crossed it's going to be what you want it to be and uh, and let's hope that I'll be saying well I will be saying this anyway but at the end of next week's podcast after the Liverpool game it's great to be a blue <laughs> 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 <laughs>